We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in. But why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome into an extra edition of the Oxford Exxon podcast, getting you ready for Arkansas at Ole Miss Saturday evening, Vaught Hemingway Stadium in Oxford. 6.30 p.m. kick. The game will be televised by SEC Network. We'll have complete post-game coverage, including a post-game show here on MPW Digital. As soon as the game ends, Chase Parham will be hosting that show. I'll join uh, after I get done with press conferences and the like on Saturday night as uh, we get you ready for the uh, final game of the first half of the 2023 season. This regular season will be halfway over when uh, the Rebels and Razorbacks get done on Saturday night. That's kind of hard to believe. This podcast brought to you by Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating, different names, same great products and services. If you live in Oxford, Tupelo, or the surrounding area, call Comer 662-801-1777. If you live in Hernando, Memphis, or the surrounding area, uh, call Southern 662-429-4429. This podcast also presented by Twisted T, all of our MPW Digital uh, material this fall brought to you by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any hard beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea. It packs a flavorful punch, 5% alcohol, no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up any occasion especially when you're cheering for your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football, your passion for creating unforgettable moments. So let's toast to unforgettable game day experiences with Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. Today on the show, we'll visit with Tom Murphy of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. He's been covering the Hogs for about 16 years, about as long as I've been on the uh, Ole Miss beat. Tom and I worked together in Mobile a long, long time ago. Uh, He'll join. Then um, Mason Choate, who covers uh, Arkansas, he's the publisher of hogbeat.com. It's part of the Rivals Network. He'll join as well. And then we'll have our weekly visit with uh, 
Ben Mintz of Barstool Sports. We'll talk about last weekend a little bit, his thoughts on Ole Miss, Arkansas, a few thoughts on some other SEC games, and then a handful of NFL games that he's got his eye on heading into this uh, betting weekend in the National Football League. So we'll get to all of that in a moment. First, I want to tell you this is brought to you by the Oxford Exxon, Highway 6 West in Oxford. Oh, we tell you this all the time. If you're coming in for the game, leaving town after the game, please make the Oxford Exxon a part of uh, your trip. They've been sponsoring the show for going on 10 years now. Next month, we'll celebrate our 10-year anniversary with uh, Oxford Exxon, which is just incredible. So stop in, uh, fuel up. You can also fuel up uh, yourself inside. And then if you're coming in for the weekend, you're getting stocked for uh, the Grove and that kind of thing, uh, check out the big beer cooler, 34 degrees of sudsy goodness there at the Oxford Exxon Highway 6 West in Oxford. Uh, I'm in the Clark Ford Studios. Speaking of people that have been with us a long time, Corey and the people at Clark Ford, it's like nine years now uh, with them. Uh, 662-257-1900. Call that number. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's right to the bottom line. There's no hassle. There's no haggle. You get your quote. The rest is completely up to you. You can shop that quote around or you can do what I've done, what I recommend that you do, and that's hop into a Clark Ford today. Corey and the people at Clark Ford want to be your car guy. They want to be your uh, truck guy. They'll prove to you what that means when you make the call. 662-257-1900. 1900. Tom Murphy, Mason Chope, Ben Mintz, everybody joins us on the Campbell Clinic hotline, the Campbell Clinic in Oxford now, 2608 South Lamar Boulevard, Suite 102, just across the street from the cottages at Hooper Hollow. The Campbell Clinic provides full service orthopedic care, everything from sports medicine to foot and ankle surgery to spine and total joint care to pediatric orthopedics, physical therapy, and more. To book an appointment, go to CampbellClinicOxford.com or call 901 901- Seven five nine three one 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 walk-ins always welcome at the Campbell Clinic Monday through Friday, seven thirty a.m. to four p.m. So speaking of the Campbell Clinic, we go to the Campbell Clinic hotline now. Here's Tom Murphy of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. One of the best guys in the business, been doing it a long time. Uh, he and I worked together in Mobile uh, a million years ago. It's Tom Murphy, Whole Hog Sports, Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Kind enough to join us. Been covering Arkansas for what now, like 20 years or so? I think this is year number 16, Neil. Is it 16? Okay, you've been covering them as long as I've been covering Ole Miss then. So, yeah. It's been a minute. Um, I guess let's dive into this a little bit with this Arkansas team. Are you surprised – you're a pretty realistic guy. Um, are, are you surprised that this team two and three, zero oh and two in the league? A lot of, a lot of, a lot of question marks about them. Are you surprised this is where they are as they get ready to go to Ole Miss on Saturday? Not shockingly surprised. The BYU loss is the one that people might have, you know, might be surprised about. But um, after what Arkansas did to them last year, just ran all over them, scored fifty-two, could have easily been fifty-nine. Uh, they were ready. BYU was ready for this game, and it was a Big 12 crew that was looking for ways to throw flags against Arkansas, just bottom line, and it caught up to them. And there was a couple of uh, quick change parts of the game where BYU took advantage of Arkansas's over-aggressiveness on defense and scored touchdowns. And, I mean, they, they capitalized on what was available to them, and you have to credit BYU for doing that. But that was a shocking game. I mean, they gave LSU everything they wanted down there, um, and hey, everyone knew when this four game stretch hit, it could go bad. 
And to lose the BYU game to kick that off was just a just a bad break. Um, they they were still trying to get things together with their O line, and you would argue now that they still don't have things together with their O line, and it it's led to this moment where some negativity starts to creep in, questioning what you know, questioning your schemes, questioning the guy next to you, and um, that's where they find themselves with two tough tough road games staring them in the face. You and I have done this a minute. We've we've seen teams collapse over the course of a season and they can't ever get it back and it ends up leading to having to make decisions and those kinds of things. They're not there yet, but they're clearly on that path that they can't fix some things. What is the mood like inside the program to the best of your knowledge? I know that you guys get a lot of media access with Sam. What's the, What kind of feeling do you get? What kind of sense do you get as to where this team is sort of mentally? Um, they're in a state of they need to have a good offensive game. Um, you know, Rocket Sanders has been dinged up. Uh, the decisions they made at tackle have not paid off yet, and there's been a lot of pressure coming off the edges. And then I think it leads to other guys trying to trying to do more. Obviously, they've implemented new schemes with Dan Enos, and it just hasn't gone smoothly yet. And so you've got a veteran quarterback in K.J. Jefferson who everyone thought would be, you know, he would be the, the staple. He would be you know, the one thing you could count on. And he hasn't played badly. It's just that he hasn't run it as well. There's been a lot more pressure. The BYU and A&M games, there was a lot of sacks. And LSU got him some too. So um, I agree with you. I think it would take a lot more losing – and I don't know, just discontent maybe in the locker room and things like that before things would pile up. Sam Pittman is a good man, and he's he's he he pulled Arkansas out of truly a a wretched time period in its football history. Um, I think after these two games at Ole Miss and Bama, they come home and have Mississippi State. They really need to win that game, and then they go to Florida, and who knows what state the Gators will be in. Um, all that before Arkansas has its open break. So it's just a it's just been a really difficult stretch. You mentioned Sam Pittman. I'm curious, uh, kind of flashback to November of 2019. Before Ole Miss fired Matt Luke, there was a lot of talk about Lane Kiffin going to Arkansas. Uh, when you go back to that moment, how close was that to getting done? And then what kind of caused that to 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 fall apart in your opinion? Well, I don't know all the inside details on the discussion that was had, you know, um, down there in Boca Raton. Uh, you know, Deion Sanders was on the interview list. Mike Leach. I mean, they talked to the biggest name. They talked to Eli Drinkwitz as well and Willie Fritz. Uh, but Arkansas was in a really bad state. And I think a lot of those coaches might have been concerned about w what talent was on the roster and um, just – coming into a situation that looked like for 20, the 2020 season looked really tough. But Sam Pittman, on the other hand, only wanted the Arkansas job. He didn't see it as any kind of stepping stone, and that's kind of what sold them. I can't tell you if they were close financially or getting a commitment from another coach at that time, but Sam Pittman sold himself on the job and sold Hunter Juracek and, and quite frankly, I think if you look at the 2020 season, they were leading Georgia at halftime of his first game. And basically from that moment, and then they beat Mississippi State, 
they're like, wow, you know, we, we're on to something. And that Sam Pittman was what the program needed at that point. Um, so it's, it's hard to say. I, I think he still has the locker room. I just think that when you look at the transition with the offensive schemes and the, the inexperience on the offensive line, it's kind of added up. And you throw the BYU loss in there, and it just hasn't been a good formula yet. So, I mean, he ended his radio show last night with basically a quote from K.J. Jefferson. All we need to do is taste that winning feeling one more time, and we'll, we'll be back on track. I'm, I don't know if that's exactly what they need, but it sure would go a long way. Um, they need to have an, another shootout type of game with Ole Miss and just maybe get one more possession. That's what the 2021 game boils down to. And um, trying to find a way to win. I know it's going to be difficult, but the next week is Alabama, so it's not going to get any easier. So the last two years against Ole Miss, Arkansas has run the ball really effectively. Um, I mean, the 52-51 the to 51 game, Arkansas and Ole Miss both basically got whatever they wanted on offense. And then last year, Arkansas played an elite first half of football offensively. The second half was kind of sluggish for everybody, but that first half they ran the football just – kind of at will and opened up some play action stuff and that kind of thing. Where is the running game this year as they get ready to go to Arkansas? I know it's been a struggle. Sanders is back, though, at least to some degree. Is there a confidence there that they can establish a run against an Ole Miss team that has given up some running yards? Yeah, they had a really good game plan going into last year's game, and they they were playing for something. I mean, that was their bowl eligibility game. with And what was coming behind that, you know, was tough. So they, they really needed that and, and they got it. Um, so they're averaging around, I think, 140 per game rushing right now. Not good. Uh, as I detailed the offensive line issues already, uh, they haven't found anything that they can just rely on. The stretch play hasn't been there all the time. Um, you know, their, their split zone blocking hasn't been on point. Uh, the tracks of the, of the backs, they haven't, trusted where the hole's supposed to be at some occasions. And sometimes there hasn't been holes there. Uh, but I do think maybe there's a confidence in, you know, we ran the ball on Ole Miss last year. If we do what, you know, we know we can do, uh, they, they have a chance to run it in this game. But it hasn't been there yet. Um, so I think they're putting a lot of eggs into a good game plan for this one. But, you know, frankly, they're going to have to get – some turnovers probably. Um, I can't remember how they got off the field in the first half against um, – how they got Ole Miss off the field in the first half of last year's game. Ole Miss had six at halftime. Uh, but I know they – I know Drew Sanders had an interception and all, but they, they need to have some, some breaks probably go their way to have a chance. Let's talk about that defense because I thought they actually had a pretty good defensive second half against Texas A&M on Saturday because that thing could have gotten – could have gotten rough the way the offense was just – completely in the in the mud um it's a new defensive coordinator Barry Odom's gone to UNLV it's Travis Williams the former Auburn linebackers the defensive coordinator there um they had pretty good first half against LSU a bad second half against LSU a kind of a bad first half against LSU A&M and then a, a better second half what do they have to do to put together a full game on that side of the ball yeah I got to get more pressure they didn't sack Max Johnson at all last week um Trajan Jeffcoat, I mean, he's a team captain, but his stats aren't, you know, where they need to be. And so their DNs have to bring it a little bit more. I think their tackles have done well. They they have depth at tackle between Cam Ball, Torian Carter, Eric Gregory, Tank Booker. They've got some depth there. Um, 
they've been very aggressive. Um, and Jaden Daniels, what, whatever Arkansas was doing, LSU made some nice corrections uh, for the second half. And Jaden Daniels got a real quick score touchdown right at the end of the first half. And they just kind of carried that momentum into the second half. Um, but uh, I think coverage is going to be really big in this game. Um, Snacks Johnson was playing nickel, and that's where he had the pick six. He read, a, he read a bubble screen last week and got the pick six. He might be more at cornerback in this game. Um, Hudson Clark we saw in the nickel on Tuesday. Um, so getting guys down, reading stuff. I mean, Lane Kiffin is so – He's so clever at scheming and then letting the um, – they're trying to go fast, but they can be at the line and he'll see a, some something formationally and signal something in and take advantage of what they see. And so um, I think, as I mentioned in the BYU game, they took advantage of some over-aggressiveness by Arkansas. <clears throat> so it's a fine line between how aggressive you're going to be and then, you know, getting flow going one way and throwing the ball back is something I, I guarantee you, Kiffin, will have some things like that schemed up for this game. So Kiffin, since he's been here, has just talked relentlessly about NIL. He talks about it constantly. He's hitting the portal hard, trying to recruit high school guys. He talks about how you have to have an NIL structure Last year, when all the flirtation with Auburn was going on, so much of that was about getting the NIL in place, the collective, where he wanted it to be. Um, where does that stand at Arkansas? You never ever hear anything one way or the other about football NIL up there. I know it's something that Pittman doesn't really like to talk about, but it's it's a part of it's a part of the game these days. Well, I, I mean, I, I don't think I think it's in decent shape. I, I've heard different numbers on KJ Jefferson. Um, into the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, and I think they, they take care of guys. I mean, it's just not highly publicized, but doggone, when you wake up and see uh, that Utah, if you saw what I did, Utah bought their entire team trucks. Um, wow. Um, but I, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's particularly a um, recruiting disadvantage to them, obviously, there are some major corporations up here that can put money towards a collective. So I don't feel uh, completely in tune with exactly where they stand. Uh, but I, I would just say that I, I, they've recruited well out of the portal and um, I, I, probably somewhere around the middle of the pack, I would think, in the SEC, as they are in many categories. Yeah, you go up there and there's so much growth, as you well know. You've been there for a while. It probably feels like a different place than when you first uh, went back up there. There's so much growth all the way up that 49 corridor. You see all the corporate growth. I guess I was just curious what level of involvement a lot of that corporate growth has had with the athletics program there. There's been some. I mean, I know that the, the Waltons are, were part of this collective. Um, it just It's just not really super highly publicized, but – I, I just think that some of their star players get real good deals. Um, and I know some of the guys um, who um, who departed, maybe maybe they weren't pleased or maybe the coaches didn't feel like those guys were, um, you know, good enough on their depth that they had to up their deal, so to speak. When you look around the league, you've covered it for a while. Is is the league as good as it's been in a while, or is it is it down some? Is or is this just the parity beginning to kick in with 
everybody has NIL stuff. People can, can get in the portal. You can f- fix deficiencies quicker than you could in, in years past. Just your perspective on it. I think it's a little bit of everything what you just said. Uh, but if you look at Georgia's scores, the fact that South Carolina led them at halftime, the fact that Auburn was in the game right up you know, till the end, uh, they don't look as dominant. But when it came crunch time, Brock Bowers was there for them and delivered. Um, I don't know if they're head and shoulders above people or, or marginally ahead, but certainly in the West, you see a lot more parity. Uh, it, it's an open deal right now. Um, I think LSU still would have a path uh, if they beat Mama. So um, I, I do believe that there's more parity. I think NIL has played a role in that. And um, I don't know, the individual – the t- motivations of certain teams. Cause you heard when, when Alabama lost to Texas, you heard some veterans, former Arkansas, uh, Alabama players talking about how important is the game to them? What does it mean? What's going on in the locker room with the NIL? And that's what the, every coach's biggest fear was when NIL really kicked in was what would it mean in the locker room? What, what kind of uh, competitive jealousies maybe come out of that? And, Sam Pittman has said it quite openly that keeping the locker room together is like a number one goal. We haven't seen it fracturing, but it's just been a difficult stretch for them. And uh, right now you look at Arkansas and Mississippi State, the two teams that are at the bottom of the SEC West standings, everybody wants to, you know, keep them down. And it's just, it's just such a, it's just such a hectic division. And, and, and as you know, it has been the toughest division in all of college football for many years running. And if yeah, you, if you're not near the top of your game, if you have certain deficiencies, and with Arkansas, it's, it's been the O line. They just have not gotten it together yet. People will exploit that. And A and M had a great defensive game plan last week. A and M is so talented up front on the defensive side of the ball. They're they they are so active. They're big. They're physical, and they just get disruptive and. I thought they completely disrupted everything Arkansas tried to do. So as I start to get you out of here, um, how do you sort of see Saturday playing out? You've covered this team for a while. You probably have a, a, a decent feel for how they'll respond. What do you? How do you sort of feel, feel Saturday will go? Well, I haven't thought of it a lot, but I do f- feel like some things will have to happen for Arkansas to have a chance. Okay, that is to be able to to, to be able to run the ball. Um, what will they do on fourth and shorts? You know, you have a really good feel for what Lane Kiffin is going to do on fourth and shorts. Will they have the nerve to go on fourth and ones and fourth and twos because they've been stopped so frequently? I mean, that's been one of their themes so far. Um, I think they're going to have to win the turnover battle, and they might have to win it by plus two. They might have to have something special happen in the kicking game to have a chance. Um, And Sam Pittman said we're going to have to score a lot of points, and I think he's right. Um, Ole Miss had 700 yards on this, 703 on this team last year. I think they're better defensively, uh, but they got to they've got to get off the field two or three times in maybe unexpected ways to have a shot against Ole Miss. And if honestly, if they get into the type of shootout like the 52 to 51 game two years ago, they might settle for that and just can we get the ball last like LSU did to them two weeks ago. This game's gonna be going on while your uh, your your Braves are getting started with the Phillies on on Saturday night. 
I was saying earlier today, if, if I were a Braves fan, even the way the Braves have played all season, they've been the best team in baseball, no question about it. Just the the watching Philadelphia the last couple nights would terrify me. And maybe this is the Cub fan in me, Tom, where I just I anticipate the worst at all times. I'm always waiting for the the shoe to drop. But uh, the Braves are awfully good. Does the, the Phillies scare you? Well, I'm uneasy about the matchup. But you know what? If we're going to win the World Series again, let's just go ahead and play the Phillies right now. Um, we had some really interesting games with them over the last month or so. We'd had some big leads, and they came back, and uh, they had a big lead, and we came back. Um, this, this Braves offense has been something. Yeah, you're always waiting for the, oh, gosh, when is it going to dry up? When are we not going to hit in the clutch? When are the home runs going to not be there? Um, I just hope, you know, we've, we've handled Wheeler and Nola okay, and those two guys looked really good. Yeah. Um, and, Neil, I am sorry what happened with the Cubs. Um that comeback in game one of that series was a, was a crusher. And it was. I think I'd, I'd rather have seen the Cubs in there than the Marlins. Yeah, you know, the Cubs lost six out of seven to Arizona before that. And that was, to me, that was like, okay, we're out of gas. It was That's why when, when, the, when the Suzuki drop or misplay in right field in Atlanta that night, my phone blew up with all these, man, I'm so sorry, texts. And my my two responses were, you guys are assuming that they'd get three outs in the ninth. The bullpen is so beat up that I'm not sure they would. And then further, this has been coming for a minute. You know, I mean, if you the Cubs problem, not to go too far down this road because you don't want to hear all this. The Cubs problem is that starting in mid-July, when they realized they were getting ready to break up that team, they started basically playing playoff baseball. And they played really well mid-July, all of August, first part of September. And then dudes just kind of ran out of gas. And the bullpen had some injuries. And, you know, when when you're not – when you're down four bullpen arms, I don't really care who you are. It starts to show on a day-in, day-out thing. And it did with them. They just kind of blew some leads. And then some defensive lapses happened. And it just wasn't meant to be. But at the end of the day, at the beginning of the season, I was like, this is a 500 team. And they ended up being two over 500, which is, or four over 500, which is about what I, if you told me before the year they'd win 83 games, I would have said, that's pretty good, pretty good step. And so now it's just critical for them to have a good offseason, bottom line. I'm sure there's a lot of Braves fans among your listeners. Um, I would think TBS did a good job back in the day. Uh, We need Spencer Strider and Max Freed to be really good in games one and two. That's what we need and just do our hitting thing. Um, because it's it's been an incredible year, but the Braves have never won a World Series when they won 100 games. So we need things to go. Uh, we need things to go in our direction this postseason. It should be an interesting postseason for sure with the Braves and the Phillies, and then I think the Dodgers are really vulnerable with Arizona over there. So um, should be should be interesting to watch. Look forward to seeing you on Saturday. I'm sure we'll talk about some other things as well when we get together in the press box. Yeah, let's chop it up a little bit, Neil. You and I, man, we have some solutions. If everybody would just listen. (laughs) We could fix everything. I know. All right, Tom. Appreciate you as always, buddy. See you. That was Tom Murphy of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Again, uh, we'll get to Mason Choate in just a minute with Rivals.com. First, I want to remind you, we'll have a post-game show brought to you by Dead Soxie following 
Saturday's game. Here's a mention, a note I should say, from Dead Soxy. Attention Rebel fans, life is a series of moments, electric highs, steady middles, and challenging lows through every up and down. Dead Soxy support for Ole Miss stands strong. Commitment's not a flash in the pan. Commitment takes perseverance. At Dead Soxy, that commitment runs deep. Where socks are crafted by Rebels for Rebels. Visit DeadSoxy.com. Get your sock subscription where you get the product you want off the field while contributing to the product you want on the field. And as always, enjoy 25% off orders with code REBELGROVE. I'll have uh, post-game coverage in written form at rebelgrove.com. My post-game column brought to you by Whitney McNutt of Tommy Morgan Incorporated Realtors. If you're searching for residential or commercial properties in Oxford or Tupelo, contact Whitney McNutt for amazing professional service and support. Contact Whitney at Whitney at tmhomes.com or at 662-567-2573. So back to the Campbell Clinic Hotline. Here's Mason Choate of hogbeat.com, part of the Rivals.com network. Mason Choate covers Arkansas for Rivals.com. Hogbeat.com is the uh, name of the site. They do a ton of work, put out a ton of content each and every week, uh, almost more than really anybody I can think of in the network. A ton there. Mason, appreciate you being with us. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. I, I always love doing this every week, talking about – I mean, like, I, it's my job to talk about the Razorbacks. So, you know, the more I can do it, the better it is, and, and I always love doing it. So it, the, the pleasure is mine. appreciate you having me on. All right, so let's dive into this. Let's do big picture first because that's where I think most people's thought processes are going. We'll talk about Arkansas and Ole Miss Saturday at 6.30 in Oxford, but let's talk big picture with Arkansas. Their three-game losing streak, BYU, um, LSU, Texas A&M. Played well against LSU, which I think is what kind of got people up there probably thinking, well, maybe things are okay, and then they turn around and kind of lay an egg against Texas A&M and Arlington. What's the big picture mood among uh, among fans? And I, I guess you know you're up there and you've got a message board and that kind of thing. Kind of what's the the overall general thought of, I guess the hog fans as they get ready for this swing with Ole Miss and Alabama. Yeah, I mean it's about where you expect it. You know, there's I think the uh, the vocal majority is, is what we're hearing right now, or maybe it's vocal minority is what I'm trying to get at. Like you you hear all the people on social media. You know, we have to be on our message boards. You see all those people. Those are going to be your diehard fans who are going to point out everything wrong. So, like, I'm knee-deep in all of that. But I do know that there there's that silent majority out there of people who, you know, they haven't, you know, they're not off the, the Sam Pittman bandwagon. They're still, you know, going to show up to the games. They're still going to watch the games. But it's disappointing, right? Because, like, you have – you had the three. You had the three games to start the season, and you knew you were going to beat Western Carolina, and you knew you were going to beat Kent State, and you felt like you could beat BYU because I mean you went to BYU last year and just dominated them. And so when you lose that BYU game, it was really demoralizing for a couple of reasons. One, you don't want to lose to BYU first of all. You know you just don't want to do that. Two, that's potentially the only night game you're going to get at Donald W. Reynolds Razorback Stadium all year. That that could happen, especially if Arkansas loses to Ole Miss and Alabama. Then you're probably looking at, you know, 11 a.m.s until you play Missouri at the end of the year, and that kickoff time is already set. Um, so that was really disappointing. And then you knew you had this four game stretch coming up away from home. So you, you lose the BYU game, and then you got to go to LSU. Then you go to Arlington to play A&M this weekend. You're going to Ole Miss. 
the next weekend you're playing at Alabama, and then you finally return home to play Mississippi State over a month after the last time you played at home. I say all that to say you had to beat BYU because you knew that this four-game stretch was going to be nearly impossible to come out, you know, with even, you know, one or two wins. There's no chance they were ever going to go 4-0. and um, So now you're looking at it, you've lost three straight, and now you have at Ole Miss, Alabama. Like, from a fan perspective, you almost feel hopeless because it's like you watched your team lose three straight games, and now you're playing two teams that, I mean, could arguably be the best team you play all year, e- either one. So are you surprised that this is where Sam Pittman is? This is where this program is right now? Because a couple of years ago, they you know, they, they won nine games. They won the Outback Bowl. There was a sense that uh, that momentum was going their way. And then last season, they go six and six. They they win the Liberty Bowl, but, you know, was, people don't pay attention to those games really that much. And they finished with that loss at Missouri where they didn't look very good. They did beat Ole Miss, but they lost a bunch of games. They lost to Liberty at home. The program kind of going down, and then here we are at two and three. Like you said, I mean, the odds makers would have them going two and five into an open date. Does it surprise you that this is where they are? Yeah, it surprises me a lot, to be honest with you. I, I told people, you know, before the season, like this team is is much more talented than it was last year, and I like the coordinators better. Uh, and so for them to lose these three games and to be two and three at this moment in time, I am surprised. You know, you look back to last year, that's a big what-if year because you, you talked about some of the games, but, you know, you lose a game at Mississippi State that K.J. Jefferson doesn't play in. What if K.J. Jefferson plays? You lose a game to LSU at home that K.J. Jefferson doesn't play in. What if he plays? You lose to Liberty at home. K.J. Jefferson, less than 100%. So, like, those are the big what-if games. Like, what if K.J. Jefferson was healthy? You might be talking about a different season last year. But that's last year. This year's this year. I still think the roster is more talented. Um, K.J. Jefferson's a third-year starter. I think – you know, I think the defense the defense has been better. Like that that is one positive is that the defense has been significantly better. New defensive coordinator, Travis Williams, doing a great job. They brought in, you know, a lot of new guys for the secondary, which was statistically the worst in all of uh power five football last year. So that has improved. But then the offense, you bring in Dan Enos, because Kendall Bryles went to TCU. And so you're telling your third-year starting quarterback, K.J. Jefferson, hey, we want you to run a little bit of a different offense. And it, there's been some things that are that are the same, but he has a new-look new offensive line, which might look even different this weekend against Ole Miss. Um, he has all new faces that he's throwing to, all of them. I mean, a few of them have been here, but they didn't play. A few of them played a little bit, but none of them were like difference makers. And so – he has all new faces he's throwing to. So it's it's been a, an adjustment period, and you knew it would be. And so those are the things that you figure out in the spring, the things that you figure out in fall camp, the things that you figure out against Western Carolina and Kent State, not things where it's week six and it's Wednesday and you're about to play Ole Miss and you're talking about you know making changes on the offensive line. That's that's not what it should be, and that but that's where they're at. And so it's just – it has been very surprising. Long answer, yes. Very surprising. No, it's a good answer. Uh, let's touch on a few of the small things that are big picture things going into the game Saturday. Sam Pittman's an offensive line coach. That's where he buttered his bread for most of his career. That is, And as a recruiter, his offensive line play has been, in the games that I've watched, it's been subpar. I and mean, it's what's really killed them. If you told me to nail one, say, one area that's hurting Arkansas, I'd go, oh, the offensive line play is pretty bad. 
Um, he's talking about shuffling the line, moving some guys from guard to center, center to guard, moving up people around. You know it better than I do. In your opinion, will, can that make a difference? I think so. I do. Um, and that, you know, you're right. The offensive line has been the weakest link, and it's not something that you would expect in year four with a, an offensive line coach by trade as your head coach. It's not what you ex- expect. <laughs> and so a lot of people are blaming it on maybe a lack of talent, a lack of being able to recruit at that position. But I disagree with that. Like, I think that they have guys. Um, a lot of them are not experienced. Two of them. So two of them, Brady Latham, Bo Limmer. You know, if you're if you're an Ole Miss fan and you've watched football, you probably know those names. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, they're still here. The issue is, is that they're, I mean, both of them might be having their worst season of the past three years. Because so Latham's still at left guard, and so that's why it's like, what's going on with him? But they might move him out to tackle, but he's just struggled a little bit. You know, he had four penalties in the BYU game. You know, you could, you don't blame losses on players, but Brady Latham, you know, was a big reason why Arkansas lost that game because he had four backbreaking penalties. That's just the truth. Uh, Bo Limmer made a move from guard to center, and. Sam Pittman has said that he thinks that's where Limmer projects best in the NFL. I don't I don't see it. He's had trouble snapping the ball. So I think he needs to move back to guard. I think they might do that potentially. But at, at tackle, they've had two guys who have barely played any college football at all. In, in Patrick Kudis at right tackle and Devin Manuel at left tackle, Andrew Chambly has also started games at left tackle. But those dudes, they came into the year very inexperienced. And so things are just moving way too fast for them at tackle. If you watch the Texas A&M game, almost all of the time that K.J. Jefferson which was, pressured, was, excuse me, was pressured, which was a lot, you sacked seven times, 15 tackles for loss, <laughs> um, most of that came from the tackles. Yeah, and, so, sure. and so you're looking at potentially moving Kudis in the interior to, to center maybe. So it's like, I think that the moves make sense. Slow things down, move Kudis inside. Limmer can't snap that well, move him to guard. That's where he was really good at previously. Latham, it's not working at ta- guard right now, move him to tackle. So will they do these things in the game? I don't know. Probably not. Maybe. I, we'll see. Like, they need to do something. They need to change something uh, on the offensive line. So I'm, I'm, I'm just really interested to see what they go with on Saturday because – in my in my head, I'm thinking that they're just going to stick with what they've been doing, but I think they should make changes. Yeah, what you're doing doesn't work. You should try to adjust. Uh, Rocket Sanders made his debut against Texas A&M. Had the knee injury. Uh, I guess his return, I should say, not his debut. His return since the opener. I thought he looked okay at times. He didn't look as explosive as he looked uh, last season when he had such a phenomenal year. What did you see from him? How how healthy will he be on Saturday? In your opinion. Well, I thought, I mean, like you said, I thought he looked fine. You know, you could tell that he was limited. He did have, he took a screen pass 38 yards. So that, that was really good to see. That was, that was probably the best play of the Texas A&M game was that screen pass to Rocket Sanders. Um, It's hard to tell with Arkansas running the ball right now, just because the offensive line has just not been great. Um, I do think part of it is the running backs have not been hitting holes, have not been making guys miss. and, And that's what Rocket Sanders is really good at. So um, I think it will be good to have him back against Ole Miss um, at more healthy. He wasn't 100% against Texas A&M. I think he'll be closer to that against Ole Miss. I think they'll run him more. Um, so I think 
you know, they had A.J. Green. They had Rashad DeBinion. They filled in when Rocket was hurt for three weeks. They looked okay. Rashad DeBinion had a great game against LSU. Yeah, he um, but he can't, he can't block. He just can't. He can't, he can't block. Um, neither can A.J. Green. Rocket's better than them, but he's not that great at blocking. And so that's, you know, we talked about the offensive line, but it's even the running backs, man. Like, they can't chip. They can't pick up pressure. The tight ends can't do it either. And now you're talking about freshman tight end Luke has is done for the year. Um, so it's like, you know, it can't just be the offensive line. It's also the running back spot. So, like, I'm I'm less worried about Rocket Sanders' ability to run the ball and, you know, make plays happen. And I'm more worried about, like, can he do the little things? Can he, you know, protect K.J. Jefferson when he needs to be protected? That's what I'm more worried about with Rocket Sanders. Obviously, LSU had a very active defensive line that, that had a lot of success against Arkansas. We talked about Texas A&M. That's, that's as good a defensive line as you'll see all season, and they dominated Arkansas's offensive front. Ole Miss is okay on the defensive line. They haven't really dominated people yet. They haven't had a lot of success getting to quarterbacks. In the event that K.J. Jefferson gets a little bit of time, gets a chance to look downfield, how has he looked? I know this is an emotional game for him coming back to Mississippi to play. Is the is the rest of the offensive attack even potent enough if he gets the time for them to to do some things and create some damage? I think so. I, I, I do. Uh, you saw a little bit in the LSU game that this offense can move the ball. Um, now a lot of a lot of that was thanks to Luke Has, who I just yeah. mentioned is done for the year. Uh, but was, I still think I thought he was a big blow for them. He was such a big part of their red zone package, and you could see it early in the Texas A and M game when he went down. You could tell that their offensive, their red zone package was was stressed. Yeah, he he was a guy that back in the spring. You know, true freshman, spring practice, early enrollee, and we were like, this dude is not a freshman. He's just not. And you, we knew right away, you know, you're talking freshman all-SEC, potential freshman all-American guy. He's that good. Uh, and I think you saw in the LSU game that they're, they're kind of trying to, like, build this offense around him, and now he's gone. So, well, he's not gone, but he's hurt. He's done for the year. Um, so – uh, what was the original question? I'm sorry. Well, it was just kind of about KJ and his ability to to get the ball downfield. Are there receivers that can make things happen against you know a secondary if he gets time? He had no time against A and M. There was no way to really look down the field. Hey, I thought he missed a couple of quick slants, but even in those situations, he had people in his face. Well, that and that's the thing that when I look at this matchup and and I'm thinking, you know, can Arkansas compete? Can Arkansas win this game? Um, Obviously, it's gonna it's gonna happen on offense because I think you know the Ole Miss the Ole Miss offense against the Arkansas defense that's strength on strength, but then you look at the Arkansas offense against the Ole Miss defense that's weakness on weakness. I think Arkansas can take advantage of the Ole Miss secondary in particular because they have good wide receivers. Andrew Armstrong he's a transfer he's an FCS transfer, but he he had a ton of D one offers. He's been he's been you know probably the go to guy. Um, aside from has like if you're talking about a wide receiver Armstrong good he's a great route runner he can run 22 miles an hour like he's great uh, two other transfers Isaac Tesla Tyrone Broden like Tesla is more of a possession guy Broden can stretch the field he's six foot seven and he and he runs 22 miles an hour but they haven't really taken advantage of him they've thrown him the ball like three times this year and then they have they have a dude named Isaiah Satania and we probably ask Sam Pittman about him every single week because he led he led the nation the nation in receiving yards as a senior in high school at Fayetteville High School. He's the kid that was originally committed to Oregon and then he decided to stay home. 
Yeah, yeah. So and he's a, he's a track star too. Like he he is. I mean, you could probably say he's the fastest guy on the team. And he's he's their punt returner. He returned one for a touchdown against BYU. Like he's a very talented returner, but they won't throw him the ball on offense. And I don't I don't get it because we watched him in the spring and in fall camp, and nobody could guard him. Absolutely nobody. Not a single person could guard him. But they won't play him in the game. So. That's another guy who they could stretch the field with. I don't know if they will. They'll probably run a, a pop pass or a jet sweep with him, and that's it. But um, they have they have the tools, and they've done it before. If you watch back at, at the LSU game, like they they can they can stretch the field with some of these guys. Even at A and M, you saw Andrew Armstrong caught a big touchdown pass in the fourth quarter. Like those things are doable, but you have to be able to you know threat threaten the run have a somewhat balanced attack and they haven't been able to do that because they haven't been able to establish the run it's really just been like run run third and long incompletion or sack like that's that's kind of what we're expecting at this point and so i don't know they're gonna have to change something up what's the nil situation there in football i'm curious because you you can look at the basketball program with Eric Musselman and see the success that he's had, his ability to recruit not only the high school elite level players, but he's been able to recruit at the top of the transfer portal for a few years now at Arkansas. You can see the the consistent baseball success that they've had. I'm, I'm assuming that there's uh, a pretty good buy-in uh, in, in terms of NIL for baseball. They've been uh, along with Ole Miss, LSU, you know, some of those programs, some of the most consistent programs in the SEC over the last long time. Football, on the other hand, it, it I don't know. From the outside looking in, it doesn't look like they've got that where they want it to be. And I'm curious why that is, given all of the corporate uh, presence that's up there, uh, the the growth that's in that area from all the way from Fayetteville to Bentonville and north. A little surprised maybe that that has gone as slow as that is, or at least that's my perception. Feel free to correct me. Well, I think there's, there's a few things with this topic of, of discussion because – First of all, Sam Pittman's just not, you know, a huge NIL guy. I don't know. I don't really know how to phrase that because, you know, he might be behind the scenes, but he never talks about it. And when he's asked about it, you know, he doesn't really have much to say about it. I don't think he's he's big on that. And I think his team kind of displays that as well. Like KJ Jefferson, he he has plenty of, of deals. You know, he has sponsorship. I see his commercials on TV. Uh, you know, there's billboards of him you know, with like a, a bank here in Arkansas, stuff like that. Um, but he's not a big social media guy. Um, so most of most of this football team, not huge on, first of all, um, you know, like look at me and Sam Pittman's that same way. And so I think that's why you see not a whole lot of NIL stuff with the football team. I think they have a lot of stuff behind the scenes, um, maybe like private deals and stuff like that. But as far as details, Arkansas is not anywhere close to as like open about NIL stuff as maybe Ole Miss is. I see a lot of stuff come out from Ole Miss about that. And, you know, with basketball, yeah, Muss is bigger about that. You hear about, you know, the Hunts have a deal with most of the guys on the team, J.B. Hunt, you know, big industry. Sure. Or, yeah. Um, so uh, they have, a you know, some NIL deals with some of the players on the team. But it's more of like uh, community service type stuff, not community service. Um I guess community service, like they're helping out in the community, like doing things. It's not just, hey, we're going to give you X amount of dollars for you to post a graphic on your social media. It's like, hey, we want you to go out to the Boys and Girls Club and help out and, you know, all that stuff. Um, so obviously the basketball team, you hear more about it. Baseball is another thing where it's like Dave Van Horn, you know, like Dave Van Horn is 
the old man yelling at clouds nowadays, but he, he does. I mean, he's, he's adapted for sure. And yes. so, um, but as far as football, was, goes, like, you, you know, you can tell like Van Horn's probably not a guy that really loves the idea of NIL, but he understands that, Hey, this is the, this is the, the, the atmosphere that I'm trying to compete in. And so I have to adapt to it. Yeah. it it's that, that's the part, like, you know, you always hear coaches say, Hey, Arkansas is a tough place to recruit to. Uh, it's, it's, it's off the beaten path, et cetera. But in today's era of college sports, what I observe is, look, if you can pay and you have the money, you can you can compete at the top of the portal. You can sign your share of high school guys. You can absolutely be competitive. I mean, we see that. I think we're seeing that with Missouri right now. I got you know, Missouri didn't change its geographical location in the last couple of years. Um, it's still in Columbia, Missouri, which is a long way away from the rest of the SEC West, and yet they're having more success in recruiting. And I think it's directly tied to NIL. Yeah, especially in Missouri. Um, what, what they always say at Arkansas is like, if we can get them to Fayetteville, we can sell them. And so that's for the most for the most part, that's the hardest thing is just like getting the guys to Fayetteville. You know, they they always talk about how it's hard to get to Fayetteville. It's not as hard as it used to be, but um, you know, it's just like I forty nine two lane interstate. You know, both ways to get here. And then if you want to fly in, like you're either flying into you know, Rogers or there's like a, you know, a couple, you have X and A here in, here in Fayetteville, but it's a very small airport. So it's like, it's not like a huge hub. And I mean, Oxford's kind of the same way, uh, but that's, that's always the excuse that like Fayetteville's here in the mountains. It's hard to get to, but if we can get them here, it's extremely beautiful. The campus is incredible. The facilities are top of the line. So it's like 49 speedway, man. I mean, you can do some serious time on, on 49 between, it's not quite Fort Smith, but wherever that is, like 10 miles east. Alma. Alma. Between Alma, Alma yeah. and, and Fayetteville. Yeah. Well, I will say. You down some, and you're like, man, I'm going 90. How'd that happen? Some some of the players have gotten in trouble doing that. <laughs> I'm sure they, they have. It's at, There was actually a very unfortunate accident um, with Quincy McAdoo, uh, a cornerback. He was a freshman last year. Um, he started out – he was recruited as a wide receiver – moved to defensive back because they had a bunch of injuries and he ended up being a, a freshman all sec guy you know one of those guys where one of the few players where you watch him and you're like okay this dude can play in the nfl um and then in the spring he got in a really bad car accident on 49 and he's out for the year we don't know if he's ever going to play football again so it, it's actually really dangerous yeah, but you're right you can go you can you can be going 90 and not even know it and not realize <laughs> it yeah. yeah um I guess kind of give me your if, if I told you if I told you that Arkansas is in this in the fourth quarter if I told you that Arkansas won what would you if the football gods came down and told you that how would you sort of assume that the game played out We're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with Indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hmm. That's a good question. I always like football gods questions, you know, when the football <laughs> gods take a visit. I always enjoy yeah. that. I have people that make fun of me about it, but I like I like the idea of the football gods coming down and telling you something, and then you have to sort of predict how that would have come to fruition. Yeah. I would say on offense, they they finally figure out the run game. They haven't been they haven't had any they've had one explosive run all year long. Um if they can have multiple runs of like over 15, 20 yards, you know, start to have chunk plays, uh, I think that will go a long ways. If Arkansas is establishing the run game, if they're running the ball successfully early on, I think that'll really help out. Uh, obviously, defensively, they're going to need someone to step up on the defensive line. They've had, they brought in some transfers, Trajan Jeffcoat, former All-SEC guy from Missouri, uh, a couple D tackles who haven't really done much. John Morgan, a guy from Pittsburgh who was carted off the field last week, but we think he's okay. Don't know if he's going to play, though. But, like, you need these defensive linemen. Landon Jackson, he's a captain, another guy. Um, they've been, like, so close so many times to getting a quarterback or making a play, and it's, like, half a second. So if they can – if either they can get there quicker or the, the secondary can play a little bit tighter coverage for a little bit longer to – make some sort of play that would be huge because like the secondary has been better uh but but they're still getting beat and obviously they're 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 just going to give up some plays against Ole Miss that's just going to happen uh but if the defensive line can you know finally get over the edge you know make a couple sacks you know push dart out of the pocket and you know maybe let Jaheim Thomas you know spy him Jaheim Thomas transfer from Cincinnati linebacker extremely fast or, or even poo Paul, another guy at linebacker. Like they have the pieces, but I feel like when I go back and watch the film of Arkansas through the first five weeks, there's so many defensive plays where it's like, if maybe one guy was in a different spot, it would have worked. Like last week they had a play against A&M where uh, A&M went empty backfield, had five, five guys running routes. And so Arkansas dropped six and rushed five, but it's like, why don't you rush six and just play man coverage? And then you might you might have gotten the Max Johnson because they had Landon Jackson almost get to him. He was about half a second, and then Johnson completes a pass for like 30 yards. Yeah. So maybe if you have a six rusher, you get to him. And then there's other plays where like I'm mentioning Landon Jackson again, but you know, this dude's like six, seven, 270 pounds defensive end, and they're dropping him in coverage. Um, and then maybe rushing a linebacker. It's like that. That doesn't make sense. Why would you not rush your guy who's a pass rusher, a defensive end, and drop your linebacker in coverage? So I think it's just like making sure everybody's on the same page and also having the right guys in the right spot. So that that's a I got way on a different tangent, but like those are the things that are going to have to happen for Arkansas to be in the game in the fourth quarter. All right, we started big picture. We'll end big picture. Um, Obviously, for your sake, you're 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 hoping for some W's and things settle in a little bit. But in the event that it doesn't, you you have to start thinking about big picture. 
Uh, for this scenario, I tell you the football gods come down and say Arkansas loses at Ole Miss, Arkansas loses at Alabama. You get an open date where people are marinating in a five-game losing streak, which is never a good thing for a coach. And they come home to play Mississippi State, a game that probably fans look at and go, that's a win, and then that's a loss. At some point, the losses pile up. Um, what's the scenario where Pittman doesn't get another year? Well, I – First of all, I hate to correct you, but they don't have an open date after Alabama. It's right oh, into yep. Mississippi State. I apologize. You're right. So, so it's even worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, the scenario that Sam Pittman well, – I'm sorry, what was the question? What's the scenario where he just runs out of time, where it, where it doesn't – you know, because the, there's a presumption right now, and I always talk about this with people. When people go, what do you think? I'm like, well, here's the problem with as a season goes on. You have – you can't what you can't predict is the emotion building in a in in a season. You can be pragmatic at this moment, right? If you're Arkansas, you're looking at this pragmatically. You're like, okay, well they're 2 and 3 and that's bad. But you don't know what the emotion of 2 and 6 feels like because you're not there yet. I mean, that's impossible. You can imagine what it will feel like. But let's say, you know, you, you, you come to Oxford on Saturday and you get popped. You go to Tuscaloosa and you do what everybody does when they go to Tuscaloosa. They get popped. And then you come home and you play Mississippi State and you start watching for two things. They're, the crowd's not as full. Uh, there aren't as many people. Like you said, it's 11 a.m. People are like, I'm not – I'm, I'm give up. And then they lose that game. And suddenly the emotion is different. Now people have gone from – well, I don't know what two and six would feel like. To I know precisely what two and six feels like, and I'm pissed off. And you get enough of that, and suddenly the Hunter Eurocheks and the people that make decisions there suddenly have a decision to make. In your opinion, I mean, how bad does it have to get before they get to a place where they have to think about making a change this year? I think that scenario of losing to Ole Miss, losing to Alabama, and then coming home and losing to Mississippi State is like that's – if you're there, things are pretty serious. Because, I, I mean, like, let's be honest here. You know, Pittman is already, you know, under a, a fine microscope of, like, everything he says is going to be taken out of context. You know, every every single story that I put out that maybe paints the team in a good light is, you know, getting roasted for, like, how, you know, how could you find anything positive about this football team? So, yeah. and so like, I'm arguing with people on our message board, and it's, it's all this stuff. But, like, if you – you lose to Ole Miss, you lose to Alabama, and then you lose to Mississippi State. And I mean, like, say it's an 11 a.m. kick, you know, there's probably going to be stadium holds 76, probably 50, 45, 50,000. Um, empty seats yeah. are loud, man. You know, they, they just do. Empty seats are so loud. They yeah. just. I mean, I, I remember back to. Uh, Chad Morris's last game, the the Western Kentucky game. I was I was actually in the marching band that year, uh, and that. That game, I've never seen the stadium that empty, uh, and I've never seen you know a team get booed that the way that team did. You know, to have a former quarterback Ty Story come in and beat you like that with Western Kentucky, we all knew that was the final straw. Yeah. But like you talk about the empty seats, that that was as loud as as the performance on the field. Just, I mean, there were maybe you know a couple thousand people there by the time the game ended. Not maybe not even that. Yeah, that doesn't. When, when that happens, you have, and, and in today's world with all the money that's out there and all that, 
with the TV and going to the 12-team playoff and all of those things, I think coaches everywhere, not just Arkansas, not just Ole Miss, anywhere, I, I think the leash is going to be shorter than ever before. Yeah. My, my, thing, my thing with Arkansas is, because I've been running these scenarios in my head, is like, I don't, I mean, I, and we talked about the BYU game, you had to win that game. You just had to win that game because even if you win that game, you're looking, you're three and four. When you come back home, you beat Mississippi State, you're back in 500. But now you're looking at it and you're two and five. You know, I don't know. I haven't watched a ton of Mississippi State football, but they're probably going to want to win a football game on the road against a, mm-hmm. a winnable in a winnable game. Um, and then you get a bye week after that. But then you travel to Florida, and then you get Auburn, and then you play FIU. So it's like, you know, it's realistic that you could be looking at that FIU game and Arkansas is a two win team. That's that's possible, and that's kind of where I'm at. Like, if you get to that game, your two wins, and you lose that game, yeah, it's like, to- toast. That's it. That's yeah, it. yeah. But I don't, I don't see that scenario happening. They're gonna win one of Mississippi State, Florida, Auburn. They have to. There's, I mean, it's it's not like a, any of those are gimmies, but they gotta win one of them, probably multiple. Honestly, last thing, give me a prediction for Saturday. Yeah, I'm gonna have Arkansas losing. Um, for sure. I just don't know what the score is going to be. Um, I know uh, you said my guy Riley picked something like 45 to 21. Yeah, 45 21, 45 24. He had it as a three plus score game. I've got it roughly there. I've got it as a two plus score game heading towards three scores. I kind of see it getting away late. Okay. Give me Ole Miss 42, Arkansas 31. That's oh. what I'm going to go with. So you've got yeah. it kind of right at the line. Okay. I well, do. And yeah. Uh, so, like, going into the LSU game, the line was 17.5. When it opened at that, I told everybody that was way too high. Um, you know, every LSU show I went on, I told them that it was way too high. Arkansas is going to cover. You know, they try, obviously, they try to tell me that wasn't going to happen. It happened. Um, I thought they were going to cover against AM, too. And that was around 7.5. I, I thought it, they were going to cover that line. AM's defense is way better than I thought it was. Yeah. Their defensive front is elite. It's, it's, it is special. It, it, it is, and it's so active and good right now. They've kind of figured some things out. I think DJ's letting them play. And as they get more effective, it is, it is, uh, it is disguising some of the issues on the back end. Because look, if the quarterback has no time, he doesn't really get to exploit the back end. And, no, no. and, you know, and then they're very good in special teams. Anaya Smith is, is, a, is a weapon. And I think Johnson's a good quarterback, and Petrino's a very good play caller. A&M's good. I mean, I'm not surprised at all if A&M beats Alabama on Saturday. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, when you have five stars, you know, multiple five stars on the defensive line, that's going to happen. And that's something that when we're sitting here thinking about it and talking about it, and I think back to listening to Sam this week, we, we think about how bad the Arkansas offense looked against Texas A&M. But how much of that was a product of te- uh, KJ Jefferson just had zero time to throw the ball? Because um, we know that he's a talented quarterback, and I, I don't know. I might actually pick Arkansas to cover. What's the line at right now? Do you know? I don't know. It's like 12, 12 points ish. Oh, okay. Then I'll probably stick with what I have. I yeah. whatever whatever it ends up being, I'll have Ole Miss scoring forty two, and then Arkansas covering whatever it is. Okay. Yeah, so 42, 31, if it's 11 and a half, 12 points, that would be a cover. Hey, yeah. uh, I really appreciate your time. You were very generous with it. Appreciate it. Again, I uh, really like your work that you guys do. And if I can ever help in any way, please let me know.
Absolutely. Appreciate it. Hey, I'm going to be in Oxford this weekend. So yeah. if you have any recommendations, if there's any tailgates, anybody want me to stop by, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Choate Mason, C-H-O-A-T-E-M-A-S-O-N. I would love to stop by. All right, Mason. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate the time very much. Thank you. That was Mason Choate, hogbeat.com, part of the Rivals Network. Really appreciate him, Riley McFerrin, those guys this week as we've exchanged some uh, quotes and stuff back and forth, created a content item. You can find that at rebelgrove.com. It's part of the Rivals Network. Subscription is cheap. A lot of uh, recruiting material on the message board that you can get. So if you're not a subscriber to rebelgrove.com, now would be a great time. If you are a subscriber and you know somebody who you think would enjoy a subscription, we're getting close to the holidays. We'd appreciate that. Uh, the prices never, ever, 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 ever go up at rivals.com. So rebelgrove.com, uh, you'll enjoy that. Speaking of things you'll enjoy, Ben Mintz was here last weekend. He'll be here again this weekend. He talked about uh, the LSU game. The upcoming game with Arkansas, some other SEC games this weekend, and then a few uh, NFL games as we get ready for another weekend of college and professional football. Here's Ben Mintz with Barstool Sports. Ben Mintz, Barstool Sports, joins us as he uh, does almost every week. We're going to talk about some college games, going to go through some NFL games as we uh, start to wrap up our week of pregame coverage, getting you ready for Arkansas at Ole Miss Saturday night in Oxford, 630 SEC Network. Full coverage at rebelgrove.com after uh, after the game, also on MPW Digital. Benjamin, how are you, sir? Man, I, honestly, I'm surprised. I can't get the smile off my face. We're taping this on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, I mean, I've obviously, I, I mean, I'm 40 years old. I've been going to Oxford games forever. Uh, I've gone, you know, I mentioned last week, that was my 21st time to go to LSU Ole Miss the last 24 years. I had, I'll say it, I had one of my favorite weekends, favorite Oxford weekends of all time, and maybe top four or five favorite ever. That's how much fun I had. And I've had a lot of big weekends. I think that's not a secret. Um, but this last weekend had it all. I felt like my whole life went full circle for like 25 years. And, you know, I, I said this in a video on Monday. Look, the 2014 Bama win over number one Bama is a bigger win. I'm not going to sit here and sugarcoat it. I mean, we beat a, what, a top 15, top 20 LSU team that can't stop anybody. But I'm not from Alabama. Uh, I think it's a sitting out of secret. My dad went to LSU. My mom went to Ole Miss. I worked for ESPN Baton Rouge. I grew up going to games down there. I mean, I grew up in the middle of this LSU Ole Miss thing. I mean, it's dominated my life forever. And to me – to rip their hearts out in a thriller like that, that's sports nirvana to me. I mean, that's it. I mean, I think Ole Miss would have to win the SEC championship to thrill me even more uh, than what happened last Saturday. And, I I mean, I, I just – I'm smiling ear to ear about it. And it's so fun for me because I'm part of the Baton Rouge media crew and I'm on all these text threads. I'm close with Bob Hebert and Scona and Jacob Hester. I mean, I'm just lighting them. I mean, I'm trolling them so mm, – it's the best. You know, I've just been retweeting, trolling them so hard all week, and it just nothing brings a smile on my face quite, quite like beating them in a thriller. That's for sure. You know, it's the funny part about sports is that that game was so back and forth, and you could change a play here, just a play here, one play, and have a completely different outcome. It's the crazy part about sports, and people would be on the other side of all those emotions. You know what I mean? I mean, just 
so many, many moments in that game, M-I-N-I moments in that game where could have swung any number of ways, right? And it's just, it's the remarkable part about games like that when you when you get to take a step back from them and you go back and kind of look at them again. And I went back and looked at that game on, I guess it was Monday. I had a little bit of a small break. I'm like, I need to watch that again to kind of be able to write about stuff later. And You'd see a play here and go, whoa, that would have changed things. And you see a play here and you're like, oh, that would have made it a two-score game. Or that would, you know what I mean? There was just so much of that throughout that game. And then you look up and it's 1,300 yards of offense and all the points and all the drama, and it comes down to a final play with the ball in the end zone, almost to the LSU receiver's hands, and it's just it was it was a remarkable game. It was one that people will remember for a long time. And so I got a few before we move on from this game. I got a few observations to hit on. First of all, I mean, I was like, I probably I, I know I saw Lane's reaction when Trey Harris ran in the end zone, thirty nine seconds left. Like I was screaming, "Fall down!" when he took off. I mean, just like. I just right when he was running in, I was like, "No, just fall down!" Because I was because uh, the way our defense had played and how good their offense was. If he falls down on the one, and you know, I don't blame him. I mean, he he's unbelievable. And you got to think you're taught as a player and a competitor, like your instincts are never to like fall down there. I know you see that in pro football a lot, but like that's going against what your instincts have you've been taught since you were like five years old, you know. And so it's very very hard in the heat of the moment when you're running in the end zone to take the lead in front of 766,000 fans uh, in this game to know, like, to fall at the one. But I was just, oh, man, I was yelling at it because I just – it was over if he fell at the one and uh, Ole Miss's defense couldn't stop him. And then I also want to comment on the stadium experience stuff because I've been going to Ole Miss games forever. The atmosphere in that game, and uh, I just am very proud of uh, the athletic department uh, – Shout out, even though he's no longer at Ole Miss, my guy Paris Buchanan at Auburn. You know, I know he had a lot to do with changing that atmosphere. It looked like – I wonder if people will get this reference. It felt like almost like uh, when I went to concerts at Red Rocks a little bit, and I'll tell you how. The first half is sunny, and it's like a positive, like fun, upbeat vibe, and it was up and down the field. And then it like halftime was like the set break. It got dark, and it was – a completely different atmosphere when it got dark in the second half. I mean, it got as it got so wild with the light shows and the music. And, like, I had LSU friends that hadn't been to games at Ole Miss in 15 or 20 years that used to just rail on me about the vault atmosphere compared to Death Valley. And they walked out of that game and they were like, man, that was electric. Like, what happened? Like, Oxford yep. grew up on us. And no, the they, atmosphere they deserve, the they deserve a ton of credit for it, too. It's, it's totally – they, they have caught up with some of the schools around the league that do an electric job, LSU and Bama and um, probably Auburn now with Paris there, um, you know, um, Georgia. I mean, there's South Carolina where it's just <clears throat> electric in their stadium. And, and Vault Hemingway used to be kind of boring. It was. I mean, people can get as mad as you want to. It, it got boring. No, I mean, I'm saying it, yeah. And so, you and know. That's so just see it grow up like that and, you know, uh, shout out. I mean, the student section's been awesome all year, but I mean, that place was 66,000 just packed. Uh, they've obviously upgraded our speakers a lot. Like, you can just tell the music sounds better, the light show. I mean, it just was on fire in there. And I was uh, a very proud alum to see it and love the fact, like, when I was, I, I was funny on this week. I said before last week, I was, I actually thought Ole Miss was going to win all week, but 
lose to LSU, there's no chance of coming back for Arkansas. Man, I might. Like, I'm trend. I would say I'm trending toward probable for Saturday at this point. All right, let's turn the page and talk about it. Ole Miss in Arkansas Saturday, 6.30. You've seen the Hogs in person. I think you saw them in Baton Rouge. Um, you've now seen the Rebels. Both of those teams played LSU to super close games. Arkansas loses by three. Ole Miss wins by five. Uh, what do you expect Saturday night? Look, I mean, I, I tweeted this out, and some people might have been hating on it, but I'm always going to just – Neil, you do the same thing. I'm going to tell it like I see it, period. And like, that's what I do. I loved Ole Miss plus two and a half, plus three last week. I sat it all week. I thought the game set up perfect. There's not a chance at hell I'm laying 11 and a half with Ole Miss in this game on Saturday night because here's a few factors why. First of all, I did go to that Arkansas-LSU game two weeks ago. Arkansas's defense isn't good. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Ole Miss should score plenty of points. K.J. Jefferson gets rolling and gets hot. Man, he is – I mean, he is hard to get on the ground. He's hard to stop. You know, we all remember the what the 53-52 or 52-51, whatever that game was. Yeah, 52-51. Yeah, that game. And this Ole Miss-Arkansas series, it's just one of those things. It's funny how history repeats itself. I kind of mentioned this. Like that, uh, almost never, we never win in Fayetteville, ever. But luckily, this game's in Oxford. But they always play so hard against us, and I'm worried about our defense stopping them in KJ. And then also, a couple other factors. Emotionally, you know, it's always a thing like playing Bama beats you up, and then you got this emotional high after LSU. Like, it's a little dangerous for two games that were that serious uh, coming in. And then also – you know, I may sound soft here, but we got 42 degrees at kickoff. Like, that's right up Arkansas's alley. That's, like, part of what we struggle with in Fayetteville is those cold-weather games up there. And I think Ole Miss has a speed edge. And so warmer weather helps. I'm not saying that's, like, a reason to pick Arkansas. I'm not picking Arkansas to win the game. But what I think is you're just going to see another one of these, like, wild – dog fights to the end where you can throw out the record book situation. And, you know, this is like the trilogy of it. I went to that LSU-Arkansas game two weeks ago. LSU won at the end. We saw Miss LSU last week. This is the third of that trilogy. And, you know, I think it's one of those games where I don't care if Ole Miss wins by one. You just got to get – you got to get out of here to the bye with a win, uh, with one loss with it all in front of you at all costs. I'm not laying the 11 and a half. I just hope Ole Miss wins. All right, let's touch on a handful of other college games that – could be have some significance in the SEC. I want to get your thoughts on them. And I, I've got lines from earlier in the week. These lines may have changed a little bit. I've got DraftKings up here. I can kind of keep up as I go. What do you think? You mentioned LSU. You've seen them the last two weeks. They've got to go to Missouri now. 11 a.m. game against a Missouri team that look they're winning for whatever reason. The national media doesn't want to give them any credit. A lot of the local media doesn't want to give them any credit. The regional media doesn't want to give them any credit. They're winning games. They, they've got an explosive receiver in Burden. The quarterback, Cook, has played pretty well. They're better on defense than they get credit for. Uh, this line's pretty small. I think it's like LSU minus well, six and a half. Six, though. I think. Yeah. What, what do you think about that game? Man, look, it's one of those things. We're going to find out a lot about what the character of the LSU Tiger football team here. Because uh, Missouri is going to be super hyped at home. You know, we've always seen for years what these 11 a.m. games are like when you're going on the road, you're not motivated, you're sleepwalking. You know, LSU now has two losses by the end of September. They're still way in the SEC West race. But, you know, this is a team that, you know, had playoff and national championship dreams. They may be gone already and we're just getting to October. Missouri's going to be extremely motivated. And, look, 
just going to call it like I see it. When you're playing defense like LSU is right now, I mean, you can't feel good about anything. I mean, they can't stop anybody. And, you know, Florida State, Arkansas, and Ole Miss already torched them. There's no way in hell I'm laying six on the road with the way their defense is playing and how uh, motivated Missouri is going to be. But this is what Brian Kelly's getting paid for, you know. I mean, like, if he's what he's supposed to be, you know, all this stuff we're talking about, trap game, not being motivated, all that, these guys got to be ready because if they lose this game, their season's really over. So uh, I'm I'm Missouri plus six or nothing on this one. Uh, there's no way I'd take LSU off what happened last Saturday. Um, but I'm very curious to see the heart of the LSU Tiger football team because they just got their hearts ripped out. And, you know, Missouri's a little bit of a weird place to play. It's 11 a.m. This is like all the making. It smells kind of weird. So I'm, I'm curious to see what kind of effort we're going to get. I'm with you completely. A game that will be an SEC game a year from now, Texas and Oklahoma at the Cotton Bowl. Texas is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Man, this one, it's like I always usually take the underdog in the series. I'm still trying to figure out this Oklahoma thing this year. I mean, obviously they had a really bad year last year. Texas is uh, playing excellent. This is the best Texas football has played, shoot, long – Long, 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 long time here. But it's like usually the underdog fights in the series, but gosh, Texas has been waiting to just kill them for a while. I think I slightly lean Texas, but like not not with like the most confidence, I'd say, um, necessarily. But I think Texas is going get, to get, get the done. I feel like they, they seem like they're for real right now. But that's the thing with them, right when we believe, will they just come out, and, you know. Uh, staying inside the state of Texas, Texas A&M's got Alabama on Saturday in, uh, in College Station at Kyle Field. Alabama's a two-and-a-half-point favorite in College Station. And I'm going to be honest with you, and I've, I've been saying this all week, and maybe I'll be dead wrong, but I think they're favoring the wrong team here. I like A&M, too. Uh, this is the same thing. I preached this last week on here. Road favorite, minus two-and-a-half. When you see that line, alarm bells just go off in my brain. It's the Reds, just the biggest sucker rat line. And I remember last week when I saw LSU was two and a half against Ole Miss, I just said I like Ole Miss instantly. And they're baiting everybody to say you can take Bama and they can win by a field goal and you'll win. And then A&M, what about the resurrection of Max Johnson here? You know, really, really good. Uh, the last two weeks, uh, played extremely well after he came into Auburn. Big win. A&M always beats Arkansas. It's just it's one of those weird things. They, just they don't usually beat them like but, that. They don't uh, usually beat them like that, Ben. That was that was the interesting. Oh so, yeah, part. usually it's down. Usually it's wild and crazy, and they just barely win. Yeah. But I think Max Johnson's got a lot of experience, and him and Petrino. That's what's so interesting about this A&M thing this year. Like last year, they lost all those games because Jimbo and the offense they couldn't score. Well, they fixed the offense. Petrino's doing a really good job when Wegman's in there. Max Johnson's in there. They're scoring. Their defense cratered against Miami completely, but it played a lot better against Arkansas. I mean, I'm actually – I know it's like – I don't want to say this, but I think A&M may be pretty good. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll see how their defense progresses, but I, I like A&M plus two and a half. I think, I, think they, I think they win, and I think it's a high line. Kentucky, Georgia, the line started at like 18. It's now down to 14 and a half. Kentucky uh, getting 14 and a half in Athens. I'm taking the bait. I'm I'm kind of Wildcats plus the points here. Well, okay, what's going on with Georgia here is interesting. I They're going to have to explain just 
there's so much info out on Mike Bobo and his career to know that he's a, he's a crappy offensive coordinator. He sucked everywhere. He sucked at South Carolina. He sucked his head coach at Colorado State. I know he was a great quarterback at Georgia back in the day, but how can you hire him? Just like because he's a legacy, he's never he's been a coach for a long time, and he's never been a good OC. And they switched. They lost Todd Monk, who was amazing. And when they hired Bobo, I was like, how? Like, I don't understand, like, what are they seeing? I mean, we've seen so much over the years that he's not any good as an OC or play caller. And, you know, losing Bennett, their, their defense is still great, but their offense is, I mean, it's really uh, shaky, and it's putting them in some spots. You know, they pulled it out at Auburn, which you got to give them credit for because it's a tough road robbery game, even if Auburn stinks on offense. But uh, I just really – didn't you know? I just don't understand what what I mean. I, I have no idea what they're thinking because it's not it's not like he's like a young guy that doesn't have experience. I mean, he's just he's just not been good forever. So, uh, but I actually haven't said that. I feel like Kentucky is a little baby here. You mentioned it. I was on Kentucky against Florida last week, but I feel like everybody saw Kentucky beat Florida. Everybody seeing Georgia kind of look a little shaky against South Carolina and Auburn. Uh, it kind of feels like my instincts say everybody's going to be on Kentucky, and so uh, I'm. I'm probably staying away from it, but I kind of think you might see a good effort from Georgia here finally. Yeah, I just keep waiting for Georgia to have the breakout game, and they just haven't had it. So you start to wonder after all. not an offense because they have a crappy offensive coordinator. I don't know, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. All right, let's, uh, let's touch the NFL a little bit before we uh, get rolling out of here. You've, uh, you've done really well with NFL the last couple of weeks, so there's some games that stand out with you uh, this week you're looking at? Yeah, there are. I've got a few, and I have my NFL. I've won money all four weeks, but my college has been a little weak, so, you know, call it like I see it. i uh, got a few here. Um, Jacksonville just stayed over in Europe all week. Isn't that pretty wild? Yeah. Uh, they're, okay, Buffalo, and I had Buffalo against Miami last week. They're rolling. They blew that second half against the Jets Monday night. You look at their efforts since then. I mean, they just killed the Raiders, killed the Commanders in Washington, killed Miami. Buffalo's five and a half now going across the pond. So, you know, of course, you know, we're going to use some logic here and have to take Jacksonville in the five and a half. Uh, Jacksonville always covers or wins. Like right now, like, it's one of those things. Now everybody's convinced the Bills are the best team in the NFL. And, weird going to london and stuff I, I just i just feel like i'm fading everybody and i'm going jacksonville plus five and a half of this game jacksonville's won or covered every single london game going back like the last seven or eight years they always win it's, yeah, it's and crazy they've been over they, there, and so they won't have to fa- battle the jet, jet lag and all that stuff that uh, buffalo will yeah so i'm taking jacksonville plus five and a half uh, actually, like the Pittsburgh Steelers plus four as a home underdog against Baltimore. I was, I said it last week. These Tomlin, I'm telling you, this is Mike Tomlin trends one to one. He stinks as the favorite, especially on the road and games are supposed to win. But the man knows how to win as an underdog. His record as an underdog for Pittsburgh is like it is crazy. And everybody's going to be fading the Steelers this week because they had such a poor effort in Houston last week. They're getting four at home in a rivalry game. I think it's going to be a slugfest. Uh, Trubisky might start, but whatever. I still still give me give me the four. Um, some other ones to touch on. I mean, it's eleven. I hate laying over ten in pro football, but I Miami just because they got blown out at Buffalo last week and the bounce back in New York's a mess. I mean, Miami should pick number against the Giants. Uh, even though it's over 10s, that always scares me. 
going to keep betting unders in every single New Orleans Saints game until they lose. 4-0 already. They can't. The offense is a mess. New England's got no playmakers at all. It's 40-and-a-half, which I know is low. But, Neil, I think it should be 35 in that game. I mean, the Saints can't score 20. They never – you know, the Bucs are the first team to get over 20 against them. And the Pats have no explosive playmakers at all in that offense, and they're struggling. I mean, this feels like a 16-13 whatever uh, kind of game. So that was one I was looking at. Uh, let's see if there are any others. Maybe like the Rams plus four at home against Philly. Um, maybe. And, yeah, that was kind of kind of most of what I got. So I had the Cowboys, Niners. I mean, I'm Niners or nothing uh, on, on that one. The Jets-Broncos is interesting because all the comments Sean Payton made about Hackett. I mean, you know, it's like karmically you got to think the Jets might win. But karmically doesn't mean I want to put money on Zach Wilson on the road. I'm just not not, not, not necessarily to that point. Although Denver's bad. Oh, they're horrible. Bad. They're horrible. They came back and won last week, but they're, they're awful. Yeah, and, they, uh, they beat a really bad team. I mean, the Jets at least have a pulse on one side of the ball. Yeah, the, the Denver thing's interesting because they actually had like a top five defense last year. Their defense is really good, and now they can't stop anybody. I don't know what the hell happened because uh, the offense is actually – I mean, it's not saying they're good on offense, but they've gotten better with Peyton. Their defense is just allowing like 20 more points a game. <laughs> it's like great. It's crazy. I don't hate um, the Colts plus one against Tennessee at home. Only thing on that one, I was looking at that pretty hard. The Titans, like they never lose to Indy. I mean, it's like crazy. If you look up that the stats in that series, tennis. Like I was looking at Indy plus one, and then I like was like going through it, and I was like, man, when's the last time Indy beat Tennessee? It's just Tennessee's just had a lock on that, and so that was why I decided to pass on it. I'll tell you another one that kind of catches my eye a little bit is I get Houston at Atlanta, and I get two points. The Texans have played fairly well the last couple of weeks, and the Falcons are just trash. Okay, yeah, that's something to comment on. I said it before, and I, you know, I know this is like. Always annoying when you come back and say, hey, I knew I was right, because I always admit when I'm wrong, too. But I was so down on Bryce Young going into the draft, and I thought Stroud was so much better. You know, the game he played against Georgia in the playoff game, I thought was one of the best games I've ever seen a college quarterback play. And Bryce Young, he's tiny, and he, he just – the ball does not come out on time. He holds on to the ball too long. He did it at Bama. He takes too many shots, and he's not – I mean, he's not – I mean, he's good. He's not what people think. And Stroud has looked so good for Houston on the Atlanta front. I, when are they going to go to Heineke? I mean, you look at the last couple of weeks, they scored six against Detroit. They scored seven against Jacksonville and London. I think they're going to be real feisty when they get Heineke in there. Like, I'm not sitting here saying he's the second coming, but he's like a guy the team will like. He'll play, they'll play hard for. Kind of reminds me, do you remember the Titans year in 2019? When they started out bad with Mariota and they went to Tannehill in like week yeah. seven and they got hot. Well, Arthur Smith is the same offensive coordinator, that's the head coach of Atlanta. I feel like there's a vibe that something similar is going to come whenever they go from Ritter to Heineke, just start betting Falcons overs the second they make that change. Because these Falcons over-unders are getting real low right now. And when Heineke gets in there, he'll sling it. He might turn it over some. But I think it's going to be a big change, and they might get hot with them. So I know that that might be a couple weeks away, but be on the lookout for that. Ben, as always, man, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, man, I'll be an eye. So it looks like I'm coming Friday, trying to fit in that square jam. And, uh, yep. Saturday night. Can't wait to get back. I mean, all of a sudden we get to live in a world where the vaults rock and rocks hard for night games, man. It's great.
Yeah, it should be great weather too. Going to cool off, which I'm glad. We've had our four or five months of summer. I'm ready for ready for a little cooler weather. Heck yeah! Well, thank you as always for having me, Neil, and look forward to seeing people in Oxford again. That's Ben Mensch with Barstool Sports, as I always kind enough to visit with us. Thanks, Ben. That was Ben Mintz. Appreciate his time, as always, this week here on the <coughs> Oxford Exxon Podcast. That does it for this extra edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. Thanks to Tom Murphy, Mason Choate, and Ben Mintz for their time. Thanks to all of you for uh, listening, for being in the stream. Certainly appreciate it. Thanks to uh, all the people who sponsor our program, the Oxford Exxon, Clark Ford, Campbell Clinic, and so many others for uh, making uh, our podcast possible. Uh, this will be up in podcast form on Friday, as we said, and then uh, we'll have coverage on Saturday after the game uh, at rebelgrove.com and here on MPW Digital. So until Saturday, enjoy your weekend, be safe driving, and we will talk to you then. Take care.